Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 11, verse 37 to 54. Luke chapter 11, verse 37 to 54. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at a table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he make the outside make the inside also? But give as arms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tie mint and root and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. This you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like a mark graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets who you, your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altars and the centuries. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to praise him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of God. Thank you, Yasin, for reading God's word for us. Good morning, my beloved family and friends in Christ. Welcome to this live stream of Grace Baptist Church worship service. I'm delighted that we can join our hearts together as God's people under God's word. And to my friends visiting with us for the first or second time, welcome. I wish we could meet you in person and connect with you, but we are in COVID-19 times. We will continue to observe the safety precautions as a way to care for our members, as well as love our neighbours. So except for the 50 people viewing our services on Level 3, we are not physically gathering as church on Sundays. The church is meeting in small groups throughout the week, and now more than ever, 
this is one way we can continue to do community and to encourage one another. So do drop us a note if you want to connect with us this way. And we'll be happy to just connect you to a small group. Now, because we need the Holy Spirit to help us receive God's Word, let us pray. Father God, Sovereign Lord, we ask that your breath, the Spirit of God, enter these dry bones, make life come to our souls, awake our souls to your Word, so that once again we may see our need for Jesus Christ. From death to life through Jesus alone, may we find our life and pleasure in the Son of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is true religion? What is the kind of life of faith that God is pleased with? Last week, Eugene preached on a passage before today's text. He said that true blessedness means doing what God required. That is, hearing and obeying Jesus Christ, whose light has been clearly shining. And the week before that, I spoke on how the King of the Kingdom of God is here and how a clean sweep of our lives means to receive Jesus Christ and to trust in Him. What we see in today's passage is an unclean sweep. The reform movement of Israel's religious leaders attempted to clean Israel's house and put things in order. But they focused on externals instead and that they failed to do what God required. They failed to hear and obey Jesus. They end up with an empty religion instead. So what is true religion? What is the kind of life of faith that God is pleased with? We'll look today at Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54, in which Jesus confronts the Pharisees and the lawyers. And in doing so, Jesus answers these two questions by pointing out what not to do. So if you have your Bibles, if you have Bibles, please open with me to Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54, as we hear the kind of religious life of faith that will bring God delight. Some days, you know, after vigorous training in the, in the gym, doing, doing boxing, Muay Thai or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I will reach out to my bottle and take a long drink of water. You know, during these times, you're so thirsty, I feel that I could drink from almost any container as long as there is water to quench my thirst. But I've not drank from a dirty glass before. My friends, will you drink from a cup that is dirty on the inside? In today's passage, we encounter Jesus having dinner with a Pharisee. And Jesus basically calls his host a dirty cup. So what happened? During Jesus' preaching, Jesus received a dinner invitation. That's what we see in Luke 11, verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he, meaning Jesus, went in and reclined at table. Jesus accepted the invitation, and he went in and shared a meal. 
um, and had table fellowship with this Pharisee. During the dinner, Jesus took the opportunity to confront them with the claims of the gospel. So Jesus was eating at the table of a Pharisee who wanted to hear more from Jesus. You know, when we hear Pharisee, you know, we, we, we think of them as having a bad reputation. So when we hear Pharisee, most of us think of uh, Pharisees you know, you know, as this legalistic kind of uh, uh, bad people that we distance uh, ourselves from. But the Pharisees enjoyed an excellent reputation in Jesus' days. If anyone tried to live a life that was pleasing to God, it was the Pharisees. In those days, they were considered devout, moral, they were theologically conservative. In fact, many people considered them to be the holiest people in Israel, with the most obvious concern for godliness. That sounds just like any conservative, godly Christian. This could pass for any one of us. You would have thought that Jesus would enjoy their company. But before the dinner started, Jesus intentionally offended his host. Jesus' dinner host, the Pharisee, was astonished to see that he, meaning Jesus, did not first wash before dinner. My friends, why was not washing unacceptable? The issue that offended them was not personal hygiene, okay? but the issue was ceremonial purity. Mark, another gospel writer, tells us in Mark chapter 7, verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. You know, they, they went to even the extent that some Pharisees even had an elaborate cleansing ritual before their meals. There was nothing morally wrong with what Jesus did. The only thing that Jesus violated was a man-made rule for religiously acceptable conduct. The Pharisee had his own idea about right and wrong, but they went beyond what the Word of God says. As Christians, we need to discern, to discern the difference between what the Word of God says and our own personal preference. And my friends, don't we have a lot of personal preference that we elevate almost to the level of the Word of God? It could be anything. It could be dress codes. could be some form or style of worship. Okay? Um, and these are often are extra-biblical and not what God's Word directly tells us to. And, and we may even have good spiritual re uh, reasons for our preferences. But we are applying onto others our code of conduct rather than the commands of God. Jesus then went on to reveal what was in the Pharisees' heart and expose the root sin of self-righteousness. This is what Jesus says in verse 39. And the Lord, meaning Jesus, said to him, Now you Pharisees cleansed outside the cup and of the dish, but inside, inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. Hear this, Jesus contrasted the ceremonial cleanliness of the Pharisees' mealtime ritual with their real spiritual condition. The Pharisee was unclean on the inside. 
He was literally a dirty cup, full of greed and wickedness. These men may have clean hands, but they had unclean hearts. I know in this COVID-19 times, many of us has been, we have been diligently washing our hands or sanitizing our hands. We may have clean hands, my friends, but do we have clean hearts? My friends, do not immediately dismiss the sin of the Pharisee, okay, thinking that it has nothing to do with us. Or, or look, even worse still, look at someone else and think that what we are going to cover applies to them and not to us. If we are honest, we also, also easily fall prey to the sin of self-righteousness. Let's admit it. We often are more concerned about outward appearance than inward godliness. You know, I do. I confess that I do. So let us, my friends, let Jesus' following words to the Pharisees be his words to us as well. And we see Jesus going on to pronounce six woes or sorrows on his hearers. And as we hear them, let us reflect on them and examine our own hearts. Having clean hands but unclean hearts was foolish. And Jesus said so. We see this in Luke chapter 11, verse 40. Jesus calls the Pharisees fools. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? The inside is as essential to God as the outside. The heart is as important as the body because God made them both. Heart used here refers to our inward parts, our thoughts, our emotions, our will, our soul. God is concerned about what is inside as much as He is with the outside. And this runs counter to our culture, doesn't it? Our culture tells us, and you, know, you guys know I like to watch uh, superhero movies, so let me quote from the movie Batman Begins. Our culture tells us something um, along the lines of this quote. It's not what we are underneath, but what we do that defines us. Our culture tells us that what we do, what is on the outside, is more important. But unlike what our culture tells us, to God, who we are matters more than what we do. My friends, what is inside you? Ask yourself, am I as good on the inside as I seem to others on the outside? How big is the gap between your, ins your outside Christianity and your inside hypocrisy? Maybe you speak politely to others while on the inside you're thinking unkind thoughts. I confess I've done that before. Maybe you resist having sex outside of marriage but you secretly indulge, indulge your lust in some other ways like indulging in pornography. Maybe you spend more time talking about prayer requests, sounding, you know, devout and pious. You, do more, you spend more time talking about them than actually praying. My friends, 
our outside Christianity and our inside hypocrisy, the gap is big, isn't it? And, and when else are we being hypocrites? We are hypocrites when we are more concerned about my own little rules than about the big things that matter more to God. In other words, we major on the minor. Jesus says in Luke eleven forty two, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tie men and rule and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Though these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. We need to understand that tithing is something that God commanded. He commanded this in Numbers 18, verses 21 to 24. Tithing is used to support the worship and work of God's house. But what the Pharisee did was to take the commandment to an excessive extreme. And what they did was they, they carefully calculated their off offering to a decimal point. And they measure up even their smallest herb, you know, the like mint or rue, and, and they cut an exact tenth from the smallest herb. Can you imagine that? Besides losing the joy of giving generously to God and being unnecessarily precise in a small area of the law, they completely miss the more fundamental and major areas of obedience. They neglected justice to fellow men and did not love God. What they did was they failed in the two greatest commandments. They failed to love God and they failed to love men. The Pharisees were not giving to the poor. They were not welcoming strangers and helping the widows and the orphans. This is the heart of hypocrisy. Keeping to the letter of the law in one or two minor areas of obedience while ignoring the major things that matter more to God. My friends, ask yourself this. In what ways have I majored on the minor and ignored my relationship with God and with others? Majoring on the minor was not the only reason Jesus pronounced woe on the Pharisees. Jesus also said in Luke chapter 11, verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. This is a really indictment on the Pharisees. The Pharisees were glory hounds. You know? They were always jostling for the best position so that they can be seen by others. You know? and, and the men with the best reputation in keeping their hands clean in, in keeping their ties precise, they were giving priority sitting in the local synagogue. They desired to be recognized. And this was all part of their hypocrisy. The Pharisees were more concerned with outward appearances than about inward godliness. And they desperately wanted the recognition they thought they deserved. And this helps us to see another sign of our own self-righteous hypocrisy. Ask yourself, my friends, do I crave for others to recognize my spiritual accomplishments? Do we do that? You know, I understand in, in Singapore culture where meritocracy is promoted 
inevitably, inevitably leads to comparisons. You know, who has the highest grades? Who got the best promotion? Who has been the most hardworking to deserve uh, this, this status that they, they achieve? And sadly, this sometimes bleeds into the church. We gain a sense of self-importance from our ministry, especially in comparison to others. You know, when we are practicing our holy habits, we are doing our devotions faithfully, we want others to know. know? We'll say something like, you know, pray for me. I've been doing my quiet time six times this week and not the seven I usually do. You know, we want others to desperately know how faithful we are in our devotions. Even if we say we do not care for acknowledgement from others, we secretly glory in people's praises. This this particular has has convicted me because you ask any preacher or teacher, after our message, this is really a serious temptation. uh, We tend to put our ears out to listen to what people say about our message. It's because we desire people to acknowledge us. We desire to, uh, uh, to, we, to, to be praised uh, rather than to have all praise go to God. And, and when we don't get attention, we think we deserve, what happens? We grow resentful. We grow resentful. Why am I not getting the attention I deserve? That's what we think. But my friends, clearly this is not the way of Jesus Jesus' way of humility and faithful service took him in a downward path from heaven all the way to the cross. Hypocrisy is a severe infection. It does not only affect the individuals, it also affects others. Jesus says as much in Luke chapter 11, verse 44. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. You need to know, understand the context. For the Israelites, touching an unmarked grave would have made them ceremonially unclean. According to regulations in the book of Numbers, anyone who touched a grave was unclean for seven days. We see this in Numbers 19. That is why the Israelites were careful to whitewash their graves so that people would notice them and avoid them. But Jesus said something. Jesus said that the Pharisees were unmarked graves. This is a condemning comparison. Jesus meant that they were not just unclean inside like a dirty cup, but they were also dead on the inside. My friends, this is a stark warning. Continual, unrepentant hypocrisy will cause our hearts to be dead. However, this is not the worst of it. By using this imagery of an unmarked grave, Jesus was also saying this. He's saying that the Pharisees also had a corrupting influence on anyone who came in contact with them. In fact, their hypocrisy is more infectious than COVID-19 because they had a reputation for strict holiness, that they are godly people. People followed their spiritual example. 
yet rather than bringing them or leading them to godliness. This will bring them in contact with something deadly. Soon they will be guilty of the same sins that the Pharisees were committing. How ironic. The very men who are trying to keep things spiritually clean were in fact sources of spiritual uncleanliness. The hypocrisy of the Pharisees was deadly to other people's souls. My friends, can you see how deadly your own hypocrisy is? Trying to be one thing on the outside when you're another thing on the inside. Focusing on little things but missing the big things. Craving more recognition. These are spiritually deadly. Not just to you, but also for others. Even if nobody knows it, the dead body, the corpse inside, is corrupting your family, your friends, and your church. So how do we heal this infection of self-righteous hypocrisy infecting our hearts? How do we have the kind of the life of faith that God is pleased with? What we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ to change us from the inside out. This is the essential difference between any merely outward human religion and true religion, which is the supernatural work of God's Spirit in us. You know, even without God, we can all work a little harder to live a little better. And when we do, we may be able to fool other people into thinking that we are righteous. But as pastor and theologian Philip Graham writes, only God can give us a heart for godliness. This new heart comes from the saving work of Jesus Christ, based on His death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. It is given by the Holy Spirit, who makes Christ dwell in our hearts by faith. It is the Holy Spirit who is even now working to change us from the inside out. This is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel that is working in our hearts. This is the vaccine for all our hypocrisy. Remember Jesus said to the Pharisee, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Luke chapter 11, verse 41. You know, in the context, since Jesus has been talking about a cup and a dish, some people have taken this, uh, those things that are within as a reference to food and drink. So instead of washing the outside of cups and dishes, we need to give what's inside them to the poor. Namely, we need to feed and give the poor something to eat and drink. However, Jesus here is also speaking spiritually. The first thing we need to give to God is what is inside us, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, by committing and trusting in Jesus Christ. Then everything else we have to offer to God will be acceptable in His sight. How else does the gospel help us? The gospel of Jesus Christ also helps us to know the difference between the majors and the minors 
so we can give full attention on what matters most to God. We know we should love God most of all. And we know we should love our neighbours as ourselves. This love will never come from our own sinful heart. It can only come from the Saviour who loved us enough to die for our sins. We love because He first loved us. The Gospel also helps us to see ourselves the way God sees us, so that it no longer matter very much what other people think of us. We want to see ourselves the way God sees us, as forgiven sinners, beloved and accepted in Christ. In the gospel, we really do have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. And this is what the gospel does. It gives us true spiritual life so that we are no longer dead inside, but alive. It delivers from the hypocrisy of empty religion so that we can live with a clean, pure heart for Jesus. Are you ready to receive the new heart that God offers? For my non-Christian friends who may be with us, you can have this new heart right now. All you have to do is acknowledge that you are a self-righteous hypocrite, what the Bible calls sin. And you turn from your own efforts at external reforms and turn instead to trust in Jesus Christ and what He has done for you at the cross. My friends, if this is your desire, you can reach out to any of the elders and pastors and we will be glad to explain the gospel to you and pray for you. And, and to help us, you do that. Um, the email addresses of the pastors are on the PowerPoint slides in front of you. You can take this moment to take a picture and, and feel free to just drop us uh, an email in response uh, to, to what we have just covered about the gospel. For us Asians, maintaining harmony in relationships is important. You know, we are Asians, right? We, we try very hard not to offend people. Uh, we, we seek to be polite. But this is not what we see Jesus doing here. Jesus does not hesitate to offend people if it does them some spiritual good. And we next see a lawyer approaching Jesus. And lawyer, as used here, or, or scribes as they're known further down the passage, does not describe a legal lawyer as we understand it. I know we have some lawyers in our midst. It doesn't uh, describe lawyers as we understand it. They're not talking about a legal profession. Lawyers used here describe men who devoted their lives to interpreting and applying the Old Testament or God's law for daily life. In, in short, they were like the semi-professors of their days. And, and you, know, you know, being wise, perhaps to caution Jesus from saying anything else further who could offend those present, we see in uh, Luke 11.45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. So the seminary professor was saying, Hey, you know, Jesus, in your speaking, you may have um, unknowingly offended others. What you said is offensive, so quit it. But what did Jesus do instead? Jesus proceeded to offend all the lawyers 
in the room. No? If, if you think the lawyer, Jesus called out three more woes. A woe to legalism, a woe to rebellious opposition to God's word, and woe to false teaching that keeps people from hearing the good news of the gospel. The first woe we see is, was against legalism. And he, meaning Jesus, said this, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourself do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. The lawyers were guilty of legalism. They were guilty of interpreting the Old Testament as a set of do's and don'ts, as, uh, as uh, regulations, as uh, legalistic regulations to follow. Jesus said they loaded people. When they do so, they loaded people with heavy burdens. In their interpretation and application of God's law, they, have, they came up with all kinds of extra-biblical rules that people had to follow, what they call traditions of their elders. For example, one example, they, the law commanded God's people to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. We see this in Exodus 20, verse 8. And, and, but this is a little abstract of what the lawyers said about carrying something on the Sabbath. Okay? And, and this is their, their extra-biblical regulations. This is what uh, the lawyers of the Jesus days will say. A man may not carry an object in his right hand or in his left hand, in his bosom or on his shoulder. However, he may carry it on the back of his hand or with his foot or with his mouth, or with his elbow, or in his ear. And the list continues on. Supposedly, such rules were intended to help people follow God's law. Instead, they harm the spiritual life of the community of faith. The result of this kind of thinking, people began to obey the rules of men rather than the laws of God. They were led to believe that such legalistic obedience was necessary for their salvation. And, and to make matters worse, the lawyers did nothing to help people who were struggling under the weight of this burden. The bad example of these spiritual leaders should serve as a warning to any one of us in spiritual authority, pastors, elders, CG leaders, small group leaders. We must not bind people to a standard that goes beyond the plain teaching of Scripture. Above all, we must not present the Christian faith as merely a, a, a law to keep rather than a gospel to believe. The obedience we offer is not some attempt to carry God's favour, to gain God's favour, but it's a grateful response to the salvation God has given us through the crucifixion and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And when we turn to Jesus in faith, when we trust Him to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life, Jesus releases us from the burden of needing to gain righteousness through legalism. And one of the symptoms of legalism is that we load burdens on others and do not help relieve them of these burdens. My friends, ask yourself this. How have I been quick to add burden to others, criticize others, but have been slow to help others? Or, or ask yourself this, have you refused to speak directly to others whose actions somehow bothered you um, 
not bothering even to lift a finger to help them. That's the first woe that Jesus called out to the lawyers, legalism. Jesus called a second woe against the lawyers for their religious opposition to God's word. Woe to you, for you built the tombs of the prophets your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for you killed them, and you built their tombs. My friends, the tombs here were not an issue. The issue was the rebellion in the hearts of the spiritual leaders as they refused to listen to God's word. You know, it's always easier to honour dead saints than living ones because it's much easier to live in the past by, by admiring and respecting some dead prophet than it was to live for God in the present by doing what the prophet commanded. The lawyers of the day had the same sinful attitudes as their fathers before them and they shared in the same guilt. They had the same ungodly lifestyle as the people whom the prophets has criticized in the Old Testament. They were guilty of pride, of hypocrisy, of injustice. Therefore, even as they tried to honor the prophets with their tombs, they dishonored them with their lives. And the proof will come in what this man did to the greatest prophets of them all, what they did to Jesus. And Jesus himself connect the suffering of the Old Testament prophets to the event of his time, proclaiming judgment on, his, on this generation. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some whom, of whom they will kill and prosecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the century, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Now, Jesus, what, what exactly do you mean here? When Jesus refers to wisdom of God, he refers to the wise counsel of God's sovereign will. God, in his wisdom, sent prophets to his people, and his people put them to death. In the history, the history of the Old Testament prophet is a record of suffering. We see this in Abel. He was murdered by his brother, and we see this in Zechariah. Although chronologically, Zechariah was not the Old Testament prophet, last Old Testament prophet to be killed, but in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew arrangement of Old Testament books, Zechariah's death is the last murder recorded in the Old Testament. So Jesus, in effect, is saying that the A to Z of prophets in the Old Testament faced rejections by the Israelites. The Israelites rejected and killed God's messengers sent by God to proclaim salvation. And the suffering of all these prophets will culminate in the death of Jesus Christ, the greatest of all the prophets. But this is part of God's plan. Through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ came salvation for all of us who trust in Him. Jesus' prediction and judgment came true. We see this in the book of Acts, the religious leaders. We see this at the end of the Gospel of Luke, where the religious leaders rejected Jesus and put him to death via crucifixion. And we see the ongoing persecution against Jesus' followers in the book of Acts. But the judgment for this generation came in AD 70 with the destruction of Israel. Finally, 
Jesus has one last woe against the lawyers. Woe to the far, false teaching that keeps people from hearing the gospel. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourself, and you hindered those who were entering. My friends, do not miss the irony. The lawyers were called to lead people into salvation, to salvation. Because they taught the scriptures, they were supposed to hold the key to saving knowledge. But Jesus said that they have taken the key away. And now because they have lost the key, they could not enter eternal life. Even worse, they were keeping other people from entering as well. You know, they spent all their time reading, studying, debating, teaching the Bible. Yet rather than make the message clear, they were only confusing the people. So what is the key of knowledge here? Jesus Christ is the key. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The key to saving knowledge is the grace that God offers to guilty sinners through Jesus Christ. And the lawyers ought to have known this. After all, they were the one who knew the Scriptures, who thought that God would raise up a prophet to save a people from their sins. This was the whole message of the Bible. And now it's fulfilled in Jesus. We see this again also in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. The lawyers should be proving from Scripture that Jesus was the Christ. Instead, what were they doing? They were busy putting all kinds of extra-biblical, legalistic demands on people as if that they could be saved by their own obedience. Because the lawyers did not trust Jesus by faith, they discouraged other people from trusting in Him too. We need to do everything we can to help other people understand that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. My friends, do not take away the key of knowledge by failing to be clear and straightforward in telling people about Jesus. Do not speak about ethical and moral demands of the Bible without talking about the saving work of Jesus Christ for us. Do not focus on outward religious rituals and not the, in, not the inward transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Do not treat the Bible as a text just to study and analyze and not a word from God to believe, obey and apply. Finally, in conclusion, we, we see that unclean hearts lead to empty religion that opposes God's word. By, by the end of all this, Jesus has proclaimed six woes. You can almost imagine the tension in the dinner party. But rather than the, repent, the Pharisees and the scribes or lawyers, they continue to oppose Jesus Christ. We read in verses 53 to 54, And he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for them, to catch him in something he might say. In saying this, Luke was giving us another prediction of the cross. We saw that at, at before the start of this series of messages from Luke chapter 9, Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem. And from that point on, Jesus came into increasing conflict with the leaders of Israel. And what we see here, they tried to get Jesus to say something 
to incriminate himself. They were after Jesus like wild beasts with murderous intent. And the, the way Luke used the words, the vocabulary that he used, come from the world of hunting and trapping. Like hunters in the underbush, they were waiting to pounce on Jesus. What should they have done instead? When Jesus offended them, they could have responded in a different way altogether. My friends, how should we respond when the words of Jesus offend our own self-righteous pride? As Philip Graham writes again, at the end of Luke 11, Jesus pronounced six woes on the leaders of Israel. You know, this, this is almost a reminder of Isaiah chapter 5, when God pronounces six woes against the wickedness of His people. In both cases, we might wonder where the seventh woe is. Because we see in the Bible, things often come in seven. So where is the missing woe? In Isaiah, the seventh and final woe comes in chapter 6. For the prophet Isaiah himself says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. For I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah knew that in God's eyes, he was just as guilty as everyone else. Therefore, rather than being offended by God, what God had said about his sin, Isaiah repented of it and was saved. If the lawyers and Pharisees of Jesus' time made the same confession, they too would have been saved. But rather than pronouncing woe upon themselves, they plotted to put Jesus to death. My friends, what choice will you make? Do not put Jesus away as the lawyers wanted to do. Instead, fill in the missing woe and say, Woe is me, Lord, for I am a heartless legalist. I am the hateful rebel which hinders people from coming to Christ. God, save me by the cross where my sins sent Jesus to die. On that blood-stained cross, the greatest of all prophets took the woe of our sin upon himself. And by the mercy of that cross, we may be safe from all our self-righteous sins. This message uh, has been convicting for me even as I, I, I prepared for this uh, sermon. I realized that I'm just like the Pharisees and the lawyers, that I'm an unclean cup, I'm a dirty cup, that my heart is full of self-righteous hypocrisy. But thanks to be to God, we find mercy at the cross and we find forgiveness at the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we confess our self-righteous hypocrisy and our legalism. We turn to Jesus, the greatest prophet who came to seek and save the lost. We ask that the Spirit of Christ tutor our hearts to understand what true religion is and empower us, God, to live the kind of life of faith that you are pleased with. 
trusting and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.